so uh, uh, even if you're not a part of FPU, if you want to come, just sit in and, and see what uh, Dave Ramsey has to say about getting debt out of your life. How many would love to be debt-free, completely debt-free? Wouldn't that be awesome? Come by and hear what he has to say, a uh, uh, scripturally inspired plan for getting out of debt. It's at 5.30 today. And then those that want to, there's going to be a little time of fellowship just for those that would like to. It's 7 o'clock. Um, around the corner here. I can't think of the name of the park. What's that? Newcastle Park. Seven o'clock, a little bit of volleyball. So uh, uh, some things you can get involved in if you want to, or you can go home and sleep. Amen. That sounds good to some people. Uh, Genesis chapter number four, and then Hebrews chapter 11, and then one verse verse from Hebrews 11, one verse from Romans chapter 12. And uh, uh, Genesis chapter 4, verse 3, I'm going to read from verses 3 through verse 10. And this is the story of a life from the Old Testament that uh, reappears in the New Testament in uh, uh, Faith's Hall of Fame, Hebrews chapter 11, uh, people who are heroes of faith. I'm going to read you his story. Genesis 4, 3 says, In the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, or why are you so angry? Why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. Sin is crouching at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. This is why the sin of anger is always associated with murder. So if you're angry at someone, the Bible says it this way, you have murder in your heart towards that person. That's where it comes from. Verse 9, And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? Verse 10, very interesting. And the, the Lord said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. Hebrews chapter number 11 and verse number 4 in the listing of the heroes of faith it says, By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain by which, by what? By offering a more excellent sacrifice he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts and by it he being dead yet speaketh Abel's not alive anymore he was slain but he's still speaking today and the voice of Abel's blood is still crying out from the ground Romans chapter 12 verse 1 the last verse we're going to read before we're seated this is the apostle Paul Speaking to believers, he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, 
that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. I want you to notice here that the Apostle Paul says, offering our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, is reasonable. It's not uh, excessive. It's not extreme. It's a reasonable service based on what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. And I want to speak just for a few moments this afternoon on this subject. Live to give. We know that Abel is an example whose life was lived to give. Lord Jesus, we thank you for all the blessings that you've given to us. Thank you for the fact that your people are hungry for you today, hungry for a visitation of your spirit, hungry for a display of your power. I pray, Jesus, for your anointing to settle and rest in this place. I pray, Jesus, that the result of that anointing would be that yokes would be destroyed, chains would fall off, bands and bonds would be loosed, lies of the enemy would be rooted out of brains, minds, concepts, philosophies, and replaced with the truth of God's Word. We pray in the name of Jesus for divine internal surgery to happen. Brain surgery and ways of thinking will be transformed by the renewing of minds through the power of the Word today. In Jesus' name we pray. And every person said, Amen. Amen. God bless you and you can be seated. Hebrews chapter 12, directly following the passage about the heroes of faith. Verse number 1, Hebrews 12, 1 says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Back to verse 1, it says, Seeing, therefore, we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. This text in Hebrews shows the biblical weather map that reveals to us this cloud of witnesses. Everybody's seen a cloud before. A cloud that may be bearing rain, maybe bearing snow. It may be bearing uh, a thunder shower. But the Bible verse here tells us about a cloud. This is the cloud that compels us in running this race of life for Jesus Christ. And it calls us to endure, to endure hardship, to endure difficulties. There is in this cloud a voice that is encouraging us. It is an ever-present testimony of men and women that faced obstacles, yet they proved themselves persistent. And by definition, a cloud is a visible collection of particles and vapors 
that have risen above the earth's surface and joined together. This is what a cloud is. It is particles and vapors that have risen and collected above the earth's surface. They have joined together. And we see in Hebrews chapter 11, those heroes of faith that we're introduced to. These are, these men and women are the particles that have co-joined themselves together, that are the lives that make up this cloud of witnesses. And these biblical individuals that make up this cloud are joined by people who are not mentioned in Scripture, great saints of God, great men and women of God who have lived through difficult times, faced persecution, and stood up for the name of Jesus and caused the kingdom of God to move forward. Each of these stories and each of these individuals are the particles and the vapors that make up this great cloud of witnesses. And uh, these great people, Hebrews chapter 11 and 2 says, these great men and women of God, through their persistent pursuits, led by faith in Jesus Christ, they obtained a good report. They got a good report through being persistent. And uh, we can look in Hebrews chapter 11 into the lives of some of these esteemed elders. And the particles of their lives give substance to the cloud that tells us to run on. The cloud that declares we should continue running the race that is set before us. It talks about the life of Abraham, a man who was called of God at the age of 75. And he was encouraged to leave Haran and go to a place that God was calling him. So for the next 100 years, Abraham would walk with God, following the voice that had called him to leave all the things that he was familiar with and all the things that were comfortable to him and to pursue a land whose builder and maker was God. 100 years, Abraham. Abraham followed God. 100 years that were marked with both victories and failures of life. When you look into the life of Abraham, you can see his failures. And uh, you can see the failure of deceit. Because of fear, he identified his wife as his sister. When he entered into the land of Egypt, he misled, he lied, he was fearful, he lacked courage. There were failures in the life of Abraham. You see the failure of doubt that caused him not to trust God, but to seek to intervene and to lay with Sarah's handmaid, Hagar, producing, instead of the promised seed, a warring seed of Ishmael. Then you see at the age of 99, when God spoke renewed promise to Abraham, what did he do? He doubled over in laughter at the very promise of God. During 100 years, Abraham's life was speckled with failures. But there were also victories in the life of Abraham during that 100 years as well. We see the victories of the altar after altar after altar that Abraham built in consecration to his Lord. We see the victories of a covenant that he had with God. This covenant being consummated by the circumcision of the foreflesh. And we see the victories in Abraham's life of the promised son, the promised seed, Isaac being born. And the faith that would cause him to place this promised seed on the altar. And the ram that was caught in the thicket that God put there. So that Abraham's faith, after it was tested, God would save him from the despair of the loss of his son. It was a testimony, Abraham. Abraham's life, a testimony obtained over a span of time, a century, 100 years of following God, marked by ups and downs, that Abraham ultimately would achieve the testimony 
that we see in, in uh, Hebrews chapter 11 and re- reiterated in James that he was a friend of God. We can look into the life of Enoch, another one of the particles in the cloud. He walked with God and he was translated that he should not see death. And uh, he walked with God, the Bible says, and he was not, for God took him. Enoch walked with God. And that seems simple enough to say, well, he walked with God. Until we recall that a walk is made of steps. It's not just saying, okay, I'm walking with God, but it's each step that we take with the Lord. And for uh, over 600 years, in fact, 665 years, uh, Enoch walked with God step after step. It's about living daily in the favor of God, living daily, pursuing after God. And undoubtedly over those 665 years of living, Enoch experienced highs and lows and ups and downs and encouraging reports and discouraging reports and wins and losses. And yet in it all, he continued to walk with God. What a testimony of this man who's a part of this cloud that encourages us to continue and encourages us to persist and encourages us to keep living for God when we experience discouragement, when we experience failure, when we experience loss, that we keep walking with God. And there is that day in and day out of our journey of life. And Enoch was a part of this walk with God and he obtained this testimony That he pleased God. And he's in this cloud of witnesses. We can look into the life of Noah. He was 500 years of age when the voice of God spoke to him and told him to build an ark. And then for the next 100 years, Noah would give his life exclusively and completely to uh, executing the task that God gave to him in building this boat. For 100 years, day after day, year after year, decade after decade, through the highs and the lows of life, uh, through the rejoicing when a grandbaby would be born, through the sorrow when someone would mock him through the ups and the downs of life he builds an ark to the saving of his family he decides if God's got a way for my family to be saved I'm going to commit my life to seeing my family saved so there were great victories in the life of Noah but we see failures as well at the end of his life he becomes intoxicated and lies naked in the opening of his tent yet in between we see that Noah's failures and victories somehow how obtains him a testimony that we see in Genesis 6 verse 9 that he was a just man and that he was perfect in all of his generations this is the cloud of witnesses these are the men and women that are people of God that over the longevity of being tested through trials and difficulties years and decades and even a century they obtained this testimony from God that they pleased God everybody say Amen. And then we look at the testimony of the life of Abel. Seems quite different than the other examples in the cloud. His life is brief. In fact, the record of his life is charted with great brevity. Only seven verses. Seven verses from Genesis chapter 4 verse 2 through Genesis chapter 4 verse 8. We hear the entire story of Abel. His life is lived, and then he is gone, all in the span of seven verses. We don't read any records of Abel's failures, nor do we read records of Abel's victories. There are no chronicles of his conquests or terrible things that happened in his life. No statement 
like Paul, that he had a thorn in his flesh, things that he struggled with. In fact, when we look more closely at Abel, we find out that his lineage, progenity, has no redeeming qualities or characteristics. In fact, you can't trace the lineage of Abel because his life was ended and the tree of life was cut down before it had the opportunity to produce fruit. So the question then remains, how then could this one brief life with no ebb and flow of failure and success, difficulty, promise, back and forth, none of the ebb and flow of life, how could the tide of his life obtain a good report? And the Bible says it all unfolded in just one day, just one opportunity. I don't know if you'd consider it fair or not that the testimony of the life of Abel would be based upon one singular scheduled situation. But for Abel, it was indeed the case. It was all about this day, this day when he and his brother went to offer a sacrifice in the presence of the Lord. Abel's testimony would not be obtained based upon his long life but rather on the brevity of one offering that was offered, one opportunity to give. And I can picture this. Uh, uh, you know, a lot of the story of Cain and Abel, since it's so brief, has to be filled in by our understanding of what has happened previously and what happens in the future. That the Bible says at the appointed time, Cain and Abel brought a sacrifice to the Lord. Many Bible scholars believe that there was a place of meeting with Adam and Cain and Abel and the Lord. In fact, many of them believe that it was at the east of the Garden of Eden. Once Adam and Eve were cast out of the Garden, the Bible says in, in the King James Version, the Lord set at the east of, the east, of, east of Eden a cherubim with a flaming sword, which turned every way to protect the tree of life. And uh, when you look at the Hebrew translation of the word set... The better translation would be dwelt. The Lord dwelt at the east of Eden. And the word that's translated uh, flaming sword is the same word that can be translated as Shekinah, manifestation of the glory of God. So there are Bible scholars that believe that there at the east of Eden there was a protection so that Eden would not be violated with the tree of life. But secondly, it was a connection place or a meeting place. And we see that Cain and Abel, it's not just a random thing. It is in the process of time, which lets us know that this is something that happened regularly at an appointed time, they would bring an offering to the Lord. And the fact that they, they brought it, and then when Cain disobeyed and Cain's uh, uh, situation was such, the Bible says he went out of the presence of the Lord. It was a connection place and a meeting place where Cain and Abel went to the presence of the Lord. And I can just, in my mind's eye, picture this day as they're gathered there, uh, the two of them, in the presence of the Lord. They've gone before the presence of God. And they're placing one stone on top of the other. And then as the stone foundation is laid, then there is the wood laid upon the stone foundation at the top of the altar. And uh, Abel, I'm sure, had no foresight that would tell him that this would be the last offering that he would ever offer. More than likely, he had offered sacrifices before. But without a doubt, he would never offer another sacrifice again. Unbeknownst to Abel, in just a matter of hours, his innocent blood would be spilled upon the ground and his short life would be finished 
and concluded. But I can picture as Abel offers this sacrifice unto God, that it was not just something passive that he just did out of routine. I can picture, I believe, that there was emotion involved. As with trembling hands, Abel took this spotless animal from his flock that represented the sweat of his brow, mixed with the tears of worship as he offered a more excellent sacrifice unto the Lord. He did it with passion. He did it with his whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. And this heart of excellent worship would consistently reappear throughout the Word of God in men and women that would be chronicled and highlighted. Throughout the Word of God, this idea of excellent worship comes up again and again and again. But it is very first evidenced in the offering of Abel as he brought in worship to the Lord a more excellent sacrifice. So before Abraham ever built an altar, Abraham gave a more excellent sacrifice. And before David ever danced before the Lord with all of his might, Abel gave a more excellent sacrifice. And before Jacob ever with that determination and, and uh, a square jaw pursued the double portion and the favor of God. Abel gave a more excellent sacrifice. It was an incredible opportunity to give to the Almighty God, to the Creator, to the One who had formed His Father from the dust of the ground and breathed into His Dad's nostrils the breath of life. I've got a chance to bring an offering to the Lord, to the God that had presented the blood of an innocent animal in substitution for his parents' blood so that the sins of his mom and dad would be taken care of because of the covering of the skins of the animal that clothed their shame. What an opportunity to give a sacrifice, to give an offering to this Lord. And he gave it with his whole heart. He gave it with passion. The Bible says a more excellent sacrifice. The Bible says... This commitment and this offering was what placed him in faith's hall of fame as one that received a good report. And then, when the offering was over, as if nothing more than a mist, Abel is gone. The span of his life vanishes. We don't get to watch him grow old and hear the stories of his ebb and flow. It could have been a very insignificant life, short, cut off. It would have been easy to pass over Abel in the reading of the lineage. It would have been easy to overlook the life of Abel. He didn't have any children to talk about him. He didn't have offspring generations later to talk about Father Abel. Except for one small fact, and that is, he gave a more excellent sacrifice. It set him apart and distinguished him, not because of his long life, not because of his many stories, but because on that day he gave a more excellent sacrifice. And Cain, if you want to, you can come with your little 
rotten cabbage and spotted vegetables and leftovers from the field. But I'm here today to offer unto God a more excellent sacrifice. I'm going to give my best. I'm going to give it from my heart. And as we look at the conflict or the distinction between Cain and Abel, we see not just a contrast in persons or personalities. You see, they were raised in the same family. They came from the same stock. They had similar life experiences. It wasn't like one was raised in this environment and another in this other environment. So it's not difference in lineage or personalities. And it's not really even focusing on the fact that, that, that they're givers and others that give not. This is not a study in that kind of a contrast. This is about a contrast in natures. A natures that exist in every one of us. Two diverse natures that fight for the mastery. And both Cain and Abel were both aware that the time had come that the sacrifice must be offered to God. They both knew it was the process of time. It was time to bring an offering to the Lord. And they both were aware that because of sin in their life, this substitutionary sacrifice had to be brought and placed on an altar. You say, how do you know that, Pastor Brown? We understand that because they were doing it, Adam and Eve, who had learned from God, was teaching them the power of the substitutionary sacrifice, just like the lamb or the ram that was slain that day by God to create a skin to cover Adam's shame. Cain and Abel both knew that because of their sin, a sacrifice was needed to be placed on the altar. And both of them understood that because of sin they could not come into the presence of a holy God without a sacrifice. And Abel understood that it had to be a bloody sacrifice that was put between him and the glory of God. But I want to tell you the difference in their nature was the difference in their attitude. Cain's attitude was I give to live. It's an obligation. It's something I have to do. And if there wasn't a requirement that an offering be brought, I doubt if Cain would give anything at all. But the attitude of Abel was not, I give so I can live. But Abel's attitude was, I live so that I can give to God. It's rather than, uh, rather than I give to live, it's I live to give. This is my opportunity to give to a mighty God. This is my opportunity to impact things that have eternal value. This This is my opportunity to make a difference in a world amongst a group of people that are just living their life day to day. It's my opportunity to make a difference. And I see this give to live and survive or live to give contrast in the approach of many members of the body of Christ. I see it even in the church today. I see that minimalistic obligatory mindset that says, What's required of me? What do I have to do? Tell me what I need to do, and I will do that, perhaps begrudgingly. Let me tell you something about that attitude. That's an attitude that will not bring you in line with God's favor. And that's an attitude that will not allow God's anointing to flow through your life. See, God wants to make a difference in this world. He wants to use you. But the first thing that has to happen is you've got to get out of this mindset of just giving because it's required. 
And I'm not talking just about money here or finances or resources. I'm talking about your life. I'm talking about serving God. I'm talking about taking that step of faith and saying, God, my life is not my own. To you I belong. I give my life away to you. And you can have an attitude that says, God, I'll give you whatever you ask and I'll begrudgingly bring my sacrifice to the altar. And whatever's required of me, I'll bring it. But there's another attitude that's manifest in the person of Abel. And God described it this way as a more excellent sacrifice that says, I'm going to bring my best. And this is my chance. This is my opportunity to make a mark on eternity by giving of myself, by giving of who I am to the Lord. This attitude of it's so hard living for God and I got to give up so much and people make fun of me and so on and so forth. The Bible says our light affliction, with a pe- which just appears for a while, is not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. And we learn from Brother Morgan, that's not talking about when you get to heaven. That's talking about right here. The glory of God shining through us. Amen. The glory of God shining through us. There is my opportunity, my chance to make a difference in the world and have God's Spirit flowing through me. I'm ready to give a sacrifice. And I... Know the attitude of, are you serious? You guys have to go to church twice a week? They have you go to church twice a week? And you give 10% of your income to the kingdom of God? Are you, man, there are so many other ways you could use those funds. That's legalistic. That's unrealistic. And you have to live a holy and separate life from this world and abhor things that are evil. That's unreal. if you're not careful, you can see this attitude begin to rub off on you and you're like, oh, man, I've got to bring this sacrifice to the Lord. I've got to bring this offering and lay it at the feet of the Lord. See, the difference is in the attitude and the outlook. It's not like you just come fling something on the altar and say, OK, if that's what you want, I'll do it. If that's what you want, God, OK. But it's the attitude that says, God, I live every day when I wake up in the morning, I'm living to serve you. You died on a cross for my sin. You are my reason for existence. See, things get out of whack. The attitude of Cain is, I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to do my thing, God. And if you want a part of it, I'll throw you a bone. And if you like that, we'll jive together. But otherwise, I'm not going to change. God says, if you do right, things will be okay. If you'll change your attitude and your approach and your priorities, then things will be all right. But Cain says, no, you're asking too much. No, it's too much of a burden. It's too much of a pain. Hallelujah. It's not about the amount that's offered. It's about the attitude that's behind it. I wake up in the morning. I'm ready to live my life to give back to God, to give to his kingdom. If my life is short, if God doesn't let me see another day, has this day been lived in such a way that it brings glory and honor to the king of kings? Cain focuses on what you have to give up in order to live for God. Things that you have to move away from in order to live a life of separation and sanctification and holiness. I want to tell you that the half-hearted approach to living for God is the same attitude as Cain. It's the same mindset of Cain. It's like, I'm going to do what's required. I'll do what's obligated. Amen. If you ask me to do something else, I'll begrudgingly do it. 
But there's got to be something inside of you that says, come on, God. Whatever it is, God, I want to be a part of this. I want to be plugged in. I want to be anointed. I want your favor on my life. I want the glory to flow through me. And it's not a matter of do I have to do this or is this required of me. It's God, if there's something in your word that brings glory to you, that brings your favor on my life, I'm so hungry, Lord God, for your will being done in my life. Let it be done. Let it be shown. Let it show up in my life. Hallelujah. Amen. Uh, on uh, uh, Tuesday Tuesday uh, morning, I took Brother Morgan up to Bakersfield, and uh, it was quite an enjoyable drive as he told stories about some of the great things that God had done. And uh, and uh, as we were pulling into Bakersfield, we uh, went down towards the uh, church where Brother uh, Mullings pastors and. Uh, while we were driving along, we, we went past the high school there. And uh, the high school had, uh, it, it was time for the kids to get out of school, I guess, and they were just pouring out of there. And uh, probably right there we could see just our vantage point, four or 500 kids just pouring out, coming across the street. And, uh, and there they were, all of them there. And uh, just young people. And, and I looked out over the crowd and all these young people, that were just kind of following the following the direction of this world, and uh, you could even see it in their apparel and their clothing that uh, it was uh, it was Beyonce or uh, or uh, Britney Spears or Christina Aguilar or uh, what's that other crazy person's name, Lady Gaga, that was creating the creating the fashion directives for every person every young person that was standing out there dressed wearing skin tight britches and and uh looking all the same like the world and then i saw brother morgan was telling me a very interesting story but i saw two spirit-filled apostolic young people young ladies walking across there with their uncut hair and their dresses on and, and I said, stop for a minute. And tears started rolling down my face. And Brother Morgan looked, saw the same thing. Tears uh, just welled up in his eyes. It's like, what a testimony. Right in the middle of this world, there are, and I know there's some people in here you've been made fun of because you don't look and act like the world. And some of you have been mocked for that. Let me tell you something right now. Hallelujah. That when you make those commitments to, to favor God, to honor His Word, to respect the parameters of His Word, there is a favor and an anointing that rests and settles on your life. Amen. There's a blessing of God. And you don't, there, there are people who can sit there and say, Oh, man, I don't want to mess with that. What do what, what you expect so much? And it's so tough living for God. Amen. It's so tough doing these things. It's not tough living for God. It's not tough honoring God's word and just saying, you know what? I want to live for God. I want to honor him and I want to put his word first in my life. Come on. You like that? You like that one? Hallelujah. Moving away from a life of immorality. Moving away Saying, hey, you know what? This may sound terrible, and I hope not. I hope it comes across the right way. I've lived in this world for 38 years, and I've never tasted a drop of alcohol. Is that because I'm a perfect person? No, it's because I was trained by my parents that this was something that godly people stayed away from. And I still believe that to this day. Come on now. 
for every drunken driver, for every drunken driver that's killed a person, for every life that's been wrecked by alcohol, for every liver that's been destroyed by alcohol, for every black eye that a wife has got because of a drunken rage, for everything that drunkenness brings into this world, I believe God's people ought to stand for righteousness, stand for holiness, and stand for truth. It's about giving with the right heart and the right attitude, with the right spirit. Rather than saying just a half-hearted approach to living for God, it's like, God, I'm ready. Let's go. How can I get involved? How can I help move the gospel of Jesus Christ? You see, when, when the alabaster box was broken, Mary broke the alabaster box, poured it upon Jesus. In one translation on his feet, the other, uh, the other version on his head. There was a sentiment in the crowd amongst Mary, I'm sorry, amongst Judas, that it was a waste. That pouring this on the feet of Jesus was a waste. In fact, when you look at what happened, when Jesus basically said, no, it's not a waste because she's doing this to, for the day of my burial. It's an it's a act of worship. It's pouring out worship. That Judas became so angry and aggravated that his attitude shifted. And you watch. Watch it happens with people. Their attitude shifts, and all of a sudden, Judas, who was a follower of Jesus, had been preordained to betray the Lord. It says right after that, he went and found the people that he could use to, to betray Jesus Christ. Because Judas' mindset was, what a waste. And my question is, was it a waste to pour out that ointment on Jesus, a year's worth of supply? I don't think it was a waste because Mary, who had been saved by Jesus, whose life had been translated by Jesus, transformed by Jesus, said, from here forward, I'm going to live to give. Hallelujah. 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 And so, as Cain ended the life of his brother Abel, and as the blood flowed upon the dusty ground, God spake and said that this man's blood cries from the ground. And Hebrews 11, chapter, chapter 11, verse 4 says that even though Abel's dead, he still speaks. What is it that the blood of Abel declares? What is it that Abel speaks? The blood of Abel cries out from the ground still today. And here's what it is. It's a memorial. The crying blood of Abel was not a cry for vengeance or retribution. You can't convince me of that. Go ahead and try, but there's no way that you could ever convince me that the memorial of such a sacrifice was, was nothing more than a cry for revenge. But as the blood of this innocent man flowed from the bruises and the wounds by the blunt instrument that Cain used to destroy his life. The words that it began to stir within the expanses of mankind was this. Give all you got. Don't hold back. Give a more excellent sacrifice. Go 100%. Go overboard. Hallelujah. You can never give too much to God. And Abel... 
Abel, though he may never part a Red Sea, and Abel says, I may never hold the tablets of stone that God imprinted his laws on in my own hands, and I may never be able to build an ark that will one day save my family, I can do one thing, and that is I can give a more excellent sacrifice. I can give the very best. And I want to tell you that when it comes down to it, we will never see the kind of revival that we desire to see and won't see the change in the lives of humanity until there has been a more excellent sacrifice that we have given. I believe today God's looking for a generation of people that will rise up and say, I'm going to give a more excellent sacrifice unto the Lord. I'm not going to give just to survive and I'm not going to do just what I got to do to make it, but I'm going to live with, with passion to give to God. I'm going to give like it's the most important thing that I will ever do. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The meaning of the name Abel is breath, vanity, or vapor. That's what Abel is translated. Abel. Breath, vanity, vapor. And, and within these three words, there's a common denominator between these three words that brings forth a connotation of something that is so fleeting and short-lived, that it's of little significance and little substance, just a vapor. And yet when we look in again at this vapor, it doesn't stand alone. This vapor named Abel. There's other vapors. Hebrews 11.3 said, These all died in the faith. Hebrews 11.39 and 40, And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, Received not the promise, God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. And this vapor named Abel is a part of these all, the great cloud of witnesses that went before. And this vapor, Abel, stands right next to Noah and Moses and Abraham and Enoch and others. And what was named from birth, what by all counts, should have been a fleeting, insignificant life because he lived to give. He lived with sacrifice in his spirit. This invisible, fleeting vapor became a part of the cloud of witnesses. And though you may feel like your life is small and insignificant, but I want you to know that that you can give a more excellent sacrifice and you can join yourself to things that are much greater than yourself. And I know there are people here and we look at these great men and women of God who have done great things for God. And we feel like, oh, my life is so insignificant and it pales in comparison to people like uh, Brother and Sister Freeman. I don't know if you know Brother and Sister Freeman, but in 1948, Brother and Sister Freeman were the first United Pentecostal missionaries to South Africa in 1948. And they served there for 41 years and uh, served the kingdom of God. And then when Brother Freeman passed away, his wife continued her evangelistic ministry until her death. And uh, just one story from their life. Sister Freeman said, God specializes in deliverance, if you'll only believe. When we were in South Africa, four men brought their demon-possessed sister to a tent meeting we were holding in Eusterist. Brother Freeman tried to find someone who could speak to her in her native language. But her brothers informed us that she couldn't speak any language. She could only babble. All of a sudden, she looked Brother Freeman in the eyes and said in perfect English, 
E.L. Freeman, I know you, and I'm not afraid of you. Then Brother Freeman said, in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And at that very instant, the woman was delivered and restored to her right man mind. And after we prayed with her, she received the Holy Ghost. No other name does it but the name of Jesus. Many others were delivered of demon possession and sickness and bondage in South Africa. The name of Jesus Christ did it every time. And the name of Jesus still does it today. Deliverance is available to anyone. No matter what the situation may be, all we have to do is call on that matchless name of Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody. Praise Him. Hallelujah. Jesus died on the cross to release us from the bonds of Satan and all his deceitfulness. Jesus is the victor. Hallelujah. And when we claim his name, Satan is defeated. We're not victims, but through Jesus Christ we become victors. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And uh, I want you to take a look real quick at a missionary family to Honduras. This is a missionary family. To the nation of Honduras, I believe their name is Shrekais. This is just a little taste of men and women who give for the kingdom of God. Churches currently established and 60 licensed ministers in the UPCI of Honduras. We have recently opened new churches in the cities of Campamento, Santa Rosa de Copan, Marcovia, Siguatepeque, and Comayagua, 
We are currently opening new preaching points in the cities of Talanga, Gracias, and San Pedro Catacamas, just to name a few. We are beginning to experience the greatest revival that Honduras has ever seen. Praise the Lord. That's just a little, a little picture of the hundreds of missionaries in over 100 nations, the United Pentecostal Church, that share the gospel of Jesus Christ, that leave family and friends and uh, go, uh, many of them across the ocean or to South America or Mexico uh, and uh, uh, to, to the various nations of the world to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I know that... Uh, um, when we look at them, we may think, well, how is my life going to have any significance? And uh, how, how can I make a difference? How can I be involved in this world mission? And, you know, um, one statement that I heard one time that's very powerful. Some people give by going. And then others of us can go by giving. That means even though we may not leave our families and jobs and go live this exciting sometimes challenging life as a missionary, when we give to the kingdom of God, when we give to missions, to foreign missions, we can be a part of what God is doing and a part of the lives that are being changed. And you may say, well, I don't, I don't make that much money. I can't make that much of a difference. And I, I, I can't really be a part of, of world missions just with the little bit that I make. But even though what you have seems insignificant and small, when this vaporous amount of money and sacrifice is put together with the other uh, uh, sacrifices that are, that are given, the amount of impact that it can make can only be known in eternity. And it is this cloud of commitment to truth and cloud of uh, commitment to the gospel message that reigns. This cloud rains down salvation on human beings. And there is no greater cloud than the cloud that produces saving rain. Amen? No greater cloud than uh, the cloud of apostolic truth that takes people out of a life of sin and gives them fresh hope. And the truth of the oneness of God that we heard sing about just a little bit ago. And the fact that the salvation is found in the new birth experience through repentance and water baptism in the Lord's name and receiving. Receiving the Holy Ghost. And uh, if my life is just a vapor, as James 4.14 says, my life only appeareth for a while and then it's gone. I want my life to make a difference uh, and I want significance in my life. And I realize that I will not become significant just by building a great company. And I can't become significant just by having tons and tons of children. But I make myself significant by connecting myself to a cloud that has the power to rain down blessing and favor. Hallelujah. On people's lives. Amen. In the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Mark, there is a record of a discussion 
between Jesus and his disciples. It's in Matthew chapter 16 and in Mark it's chapter 8. Where Jesus begins to speak of the purpose of Calvary. That he would have to suffer. That he would be rejected. That he would be killed. And then that after three days he would rise again. He, be, he begins to speak to his disciples about the ultimate sacrifice that he has to give for the redemption of human beings. And uh, Jesus, who was years before introduced by John as the Lamb of God, he's saying, this is why I came. I came to give my life as a ransom for many. I was born to die. I live to give. I live every day of my life to give everything for salvation, Jesus was saying to his disciples. And then he takes the ultimate price that must be paid and he turns to his disciples, all that chose to be followers of him, of this Lamb of God, and says, you must be willing to do the same, to offer your lives. And many of those disciples ended up being martyred and their blood was shed. And the blood of these martyrs were caused the seed of revival that came in the future. And uh, you must be willing, Jesus said, to lay down every other purpose uh, that you hold so dear. You must be willing not just to give to survive, but to live, to give to this kingdom to keep the work of God moving forward. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And then at the end, Jesus says, What shall a man give in exchange for a soul? In the economy of heaven, there is nothing more valuable than a soul, than one person. Amen. One person. You bring one of these little children from downstairs and bring them up and present these kids and say, This is a soul. How valuable do you think this soul is? What would you trade this soul for? I say to my little daughter Eden all the time, you're worth a million dollars. You're worth a million dollars. She's worth way more than a million dollars because a million dollars will corrupt. A million dollars over the passage of time will devalue. A million dollars will be eaten up and lost. A million dollars, amen, will not be worth anything a thousand years from now. Should the Lord tarry, it'll be worth pennies. But a soul has eternal value. What shall a man give in exchange for a soul? That means no matter how much my company makes and no matter how much I earn, it's not worth the value of a soul, an eternal soul. In the economy of heaven, if you try to bring out a scale and say, what is one soul worth? You can put, take our great city and sell every house on the market that's depreciated in value but still worth something. Sell every single house in the Los Angeles proper area. Take all the funds that are obtained from selling every home. Put it on one side of the scale and take one of these little children that come in on the bus. One of these little kids that we bring to church. Church, uh, and lay it on the other one of these young people and lay it on the other side of the scale and the scale will fall down letting us know that one soul is worth more than all the value of every home in LA amen of every commercial building of every commercial airline of every stitch of clothing and all of these high dollar stores down Rodeo Drive you take all of that resource and all that finance and in the eternal economy of heaven there's nothing worth more than one soul and so whatever I can do for the kingdom of God whatever I can pour of myself into the kingdom of God whatever I can give to the kingdom of God is of greater value than anything that I would buy for myself anything that I would provide for myself because it becomes a part of this cloud of glory that will see lives changed. 
And in this room today, I see potential. I see those that are willing to give their life in exchange for souls. People that say, you know, I'm still going to work my job. and I'm still going to love my family above all else. And I'm still going to raise my children and I'm, I'm still going to make sure we got food on the table and I'm sure s- still going to make sure that uh, my kids have clothes on their back and we have transportation and we have a place to live. I'm going to do those things, but guess what? My life is going to be poured out as a sacrifice unto the Lord because it's the one thing that I have that can make a difference. It's the one thing I can do that has eternal value. One interesting thing that I found out about Jesus that may be interesting to you as well to know. Of course, I think that most everybody knows how important the temple was to Jesus. You see him there as a little 12-year-old boy sitting in the temple, confounding the uh, elders and doctors of the law with his insight. His mom and dad left, and there's Jesus in the temple. And then his mother comes back, we were so worried about you, Jesus. And uh, um, what, why are you here? I mean, why didn't you come with us? And he said, don't you know it must be about my father's business? He said, this temple is what I'm about. And this, where the presence of God is manifest, this is where I long to be. And you see Jesus at another time when he became furious. Holy rage because of the buying and selling that was happening in his father's house and in the temple. The temple was holy to Jesus. It was a place of prayer and fasting. Jesus made many visits, many special, no doubt, memorable visits to the temple while he was in in Jerusalem and while he was there. But we see in the book of Mark and in the book of Luke an account of the very last time that Jesus went to the temple. Very last time. And uh, this was during the week of the Passion. He had already come into Jerusalem on the donkey, and they had been waving palm branches and throwing their cloaks out before the donkey, and he comes into town. He's marked for death, if you would, because within that week, at the Passover time of the Passover, Jesus' life was going to be offered as a ransom for many. But then after he comes into Jerusalem, he takes one last trip to the temple. There while he's in the temple, you can read the story. Some people came to him with various questions, uh, challenging him. Should we pay tax to Caesar? Uh, Jesus said, render to Caesar that which is Caesar's. Uh, Another one said, what's the most important commandment in the law? Others, questions trying to trap him. And then before Jesus left the temple, he kind of walked away from his disciples, and he just sat there in a place the Bible calls the treasury. Last time Jesus ever went to the temple. And he sat and watched as people brought their offerings into the treasury. You can read it yourself. Somebody said, well, Jesus doesn't care. Jesus cared. Because it wasn't about the money. It was about offering and offering. And he sat and watched as wealthy people came by. And they extravagantly dropped their big offerings into the plate. And Jesus is watching. See, you know why? Because Jesus was getting ready to give his offering. And he was going to put it all in. Remember Brother brother Costa said, I'm all in. Jesus said, look at this. I'm committed to this thing. 
He was getting ready to give his offering on the cross, and he was watching. And all of a sudden, something caught his attention. There's a little a widow woman came up and, and put in two mites, which is a, is a farthing. It's a small amount of money. And uh, this got his attention, and he called his disciples over to him as Jesus, right before he left the temple his very last time, is watching. He said, I want you to make note of this lady right here. Because she gave the biggest offering today. And they were confused. They were like, she didn't give a big offering. There's a lot of people that gave bigger offerings. Jesus said, no, she gave a more excellent sacrifice. Because she gave from her need. She gave all she had. And while... These others came by and gave something large and significant. She gave something more significant because she was giving herself. The Bible says, offer your bodies to Christ as a living sacrifice. This is your reasonable service. Holy and acceptable to the Lord. And I, I know, uh, I, you know, part, part of... Uh, the, the, the meat or the meaning behind this sermon is that when we give to the kingdom of God, when we give beyond our tithes, when we give to missions, when we give to the building program, we're giving towards something bigger than ourselves. We're giving towards the movement of the gospel forward. You're not giving to a person. You're not giving to an institution. You're giving yourself to the Lord. You're pouring it out to, to God. And there's something in my spirit that says, God, I want to give a more excellent sacrifice. But beyond what I can give in terms of my resources, it's my life that the Lord's looking for. It's your life that the Lord's looking for. Because there's somebody in this place that God wants to uncork the horn of His anointing and pour it into your life. And He's not just looking for somebody that's talented. and He's not just looking for somebody that's an influencer. And He's not just looking for... Somebody that has the right mix of gifts for leadership. But he's looking for somebody that has an attitude of Abel or an attitude of King David who sat there in the backside of the wilderness singing praise and worship to the Lord, offering a sacrifice of praise that says, yeah, I could, I could play this, this uh, harp for a few minutes and then go about my business, but every chance I get, I want to praise you, Lord. Every chance I get, I want to offer worship and honor and glory to you because you're my God and you deserve everything. Hallelujah. I, I can't put into words, I can't enunciate or, or uh, articulate what I feel in my spirit right now, but it's you know it when you see it, when people get it. It's not about finding out what I'm obligated to do. And it's not about finding that bare minimum and executing that. But it's about, Lord, can you speak to my heart? Lord, I'm ready, Jesus, to stretch myself. I want to become, Lord God what you would have me to be and I want your anointing on my life without measure and that's somebody that God says okay okay right there there it is right there hallelujah there's something that I see right there, there there's a person that's ready to do it there's a person that's ready to take that step there's the one that says Jesus whatever it takes I'm not going to parse out my commitment and my faithfulness to you I give you all I give you all why don't we stand our feet right now thank you Jesus Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.
Hallelujah, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I take the tithe and offering envelope and I put my full tithe in and I decide, God, I'm able to do this at this time and I want to give this to you. Nobody told me I have to do this. It's not obligated. But Lord, I want to give this to you. I, I want to see the kingdom of God go forward. I want Life Church to be able to support missionaries. I want the needs of the, the kingdom to be met. It's, it's a sacrifice. It's an excellent offering. Guess what? When you get up in the morning and you spend some time in the presence of the Lord, there's a lot of other things that could be priorities for you. But you're saying, Lord, I'm living to give. I'm giving giving my best to you. Everything that I have, Lord God, I want to live for you and I want to walk with you. I want to encourage you, whether you come by the church or whether you do it at home, spend some time in the morning. Spend some time in the presence of the Lord. Get up a little bit early and spend some time drawing close to Him. Hallelujah. Because the the kind of giving, the kind of attitude that I'm talking about, not just financially, but of your life, has to be born from consecration. It has to be born out of commitment and love for Jesus Christ. It's not something that someone can emotionally work you up to do or give you some kind of a mandate to do. It's something that has to come from your heart. I hope you get that. Because if you're looking for me to tell you exactly what to do, you're missing the whole point. You're missing the whole point. There's got to be something inside of you that says, God, I love you. Hallelujah. And the Lord uh, uh, convicted me a few weeks ago because with my physical exercise regimen, I was very uh, strict that I very few things would I allow to push my time of physical exercise out of my life because I made a commitment I'm going to do this thing and then the spirit of the Lord began to speak to me and said are you more committed to making sure that this happens every day than you are to our relationship and I decided you know this is what God spoke to me before you go run on the treadmill before you go jog in the neighborhood before you lift any weights I'm going to spend some time in the presence of the Lord I'm going to give God first 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 priority first priority first priority and I promise you if you'll make those kinds of commitments to the Lord take that step of faith because some people are going to get it some people are going to get it some people are going to take a hold of it and I know I just It thrills my spirit and heart to think about what God can do if He takes one young person in this place that says, Okay, God, I'm not going to put conditions on you. I'm not going to say, God, you can have this, this, and this, but leave this alone. God, I'm throwing myself in the fire. (laughs) I'm throwing myself, Lord Jesus, into what you're doing. I want your anointing and your favor on my life. And I'm telling you right now, God can use you to make a difference. God can use you to see hundreds of lives. 
impacted by the kingdom of God. And I'm telling you, you can do something of eternal value as you lay it on the altar, as you give it to the Lord Jesus. As we sing this song right now, I'm going to open up this altar. And I want us to just come talk to the Lord for a few moments right now as we sing this song. Hallelujah. Jesus, I surrender all. I surrender all. Hallelujah. Jesus. Jesus.